everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name's Scott Coyne and I'll be your host for this episode. Second week in a row you have me hosting. What on earth have I done to deserve this? Well, those of you that weren't with us last week, who have hopefully caught up on what you missed, will know that our Ben is still on his honeymoon and having a great time. We have no doubt about that at all. But before we crack on and review the latest um, the latest action um, across the Pro League and, and the Challenger Pro League, uh, we need to check in with our Yoris and see how he's doing because, of course, this is uh, us coming off the back of a brilliant week for Belgian sides in Europe. Yoris, have you recovered from your, your coefficient party frenzy? Well, it would be more fun for me if, uh, if, if Henk would also be part of it, but they also had a really good uh, result this weekend, so uh, definitely I, I'm dancing. You can't see that, dear listeners. I'm sorry, but I am. Yeah, one of the one of the hazards of podcasting, what you can't see, is true. He actually is. Um, of course, um, we had a, a a frenzy of coefficient excitement because you know the the three wins and a draw, which we'll we'll get to talking about um, in a little bit more detail later on, is the is the best week in years for Belgian sides in Europe and. Um, we really enjoyed that. We certainly didn't see that coming. So hopefully we have we have more of that this week. Speaking of excitement, let's let's dive in and, and review all the latest action then, Yoris. Um match day eight, of course, now in the books. We score roundup first of all, um, as always. Uh Friday night kicked off uh, with St. Truden one, standard Liège two. Saturday saw Kortrijk losing convincingly, uh four one at home to Mechelen. Ustend winning 1-0 against Oipen, Sarang losing 2-0 at home to Club Bruges, and Leuven winning 3-2 uh, at home to Charleroi, which was one of the games of the weekend. Uh, Sunday saw Westerlo winning 2-1 at home against Anderlecht, Circle Bruges losing 2-0 to Antwerp, Union Saint-Gerois losing 2-1 at the Marion to Joris's team Genk, and Ghent winning 2-0 at home to Zalta Varagam. So let's start, as always, with, with the, the Friday evening game, which was the Canaries against Ronnie Dyla's Standard. And how's about this, Joris? Standard have now won three games in a row. So I suppose the first question is, do you see any tiny, tiny green shoots there? They they have been performing well. I I don't know. Last week it was already a stat for the the two wins in a row, three wins in a row. It has to be a few years back, I suppose now. So that had been a while. And I I can also uh, mention some other interesting stat about this specific fixture. Uh, it was the first victory in fifteen years uh, for Standard in Sintrade. Um, of course, a few years uh, of those uh, Sintrada were not in the first tier, but still uh, a considerable amount of years and games uh, that they had to wait. In addition to the three wins in a row, they yeah this time they conceded from the spot, but yeah defensively they they seem to be improving. Up front, I'm still not too convinced uh, to be fair though, but um, yeah they they did score. Uh, they got two shots on target, I believe, and they did score twice. So that that's efficient at least and uh, well I, I believe that's, that that means one shot more than the extra actual goal because um, well to come uh, already to Sintrada as well they, they they on the other hand had 22 shots uh, but only five on target as, so also not that many uh, so they, they also need, missed something there and they gave away the goals a bit as well uh, especially Leisner with the second one where he initially uh, gives the ball away and then um, yeah also, unfortunately for him, he's too late and touches the ball uh, by accident in his, to his own net. So um, that, not the best performance of the usually uh, really well defending Sintraden defense. Yeah, I think I think one of the things I took away from this game was was the fact that although Standard didn't actually create that much, um, what they did create was the difference, and they took their chances. So you know, over the last three weeks, there has been. You know, as you were saying, an increase in their efficiency and they're, they're, they're starting to take the opportunities that they are creating. Obviously, as we know, heavily relying on, you know, Raskan and, and, and Amala. 
um, still at the moment, you know, the, the kind of guaranteed quality that they have. And, you know, Amala was responsible really for, for the first goal, cracking assist, you know, the that pass that kind of split the defence open was, was great. But I think it's very encouraging for Ronnie Dyla now that they, they are taking the opportunities that they, they're creating. And that's going to be very, very important to them. I think their their transfer window was, it's too early to pass a kind of final judgment on it at the moment, but I think it was reasonably effective in that they got a good number of players out and, and brought in a number who they think obviously can can make a, a quantifiable difference, hopefully, in, in terms of a small quality injection at this stage uh, while getting the wage bill down. So there are some things off the pitch structurally that I think are probably moving slowly in the right direction. This is this is a good win for them against a side which we know are, are difficult to beat, who, you know, they were a little bit off it this week, the Canaries, I thought, you know, not quite as good and a lot of the 50-50s as well. Yeah, I think some tiny green shoots from standard. We'll see how they get on in the coming weeks um, because, you know, I, I think, you know, being able to throw three wins together is, is something they've not been able to do, as we're saying, for such a long time that, that that's something solid for them to kind of continue working on. We did see a little bit, interestingly as well, of one of the new signings. We saw half an hour from uh, Filippo Melagoni, uh, the Italian loan signing who's come in from, from Genoa, which is an interesting one in itself because that's um, one of Standard's, you know, now parent clubs under the, the, the 777 banner. Uh, so I thought that was interesting um, in itself. Let's move on, shall we, to the the, the Gildensporen, where Kertraik lost 4-1 to Danny Boyce's uh, Mechelen. What did you make of this game, Joris? Because um, we were talking about how, how worried we were about Kertraik last week. Um, and I certainly didn't see anything to, to change my mind this week. No, you're right. This was a very worrying uh, uh, performance from Kortrijk. Also, again, a player lo- uh, lose, uh, losing control over the ball, or in this case, more he- over his body in, his, in their own defense, which gave uh, gave away a goal quite cheaply. In case uh, Van Andriessen, yeah, uh, we did it. Uh, and now I'm referring to Salamani doing a similar thing, but more with the ball uh, against Klubrugge. Yeah, such kind of giveaway goals. You you can't give them away if you're up front yourself. Um, well, not delivering in any circumstance. He he should not give away goals like that. But yeah, that that makes it even more difficult to to get something out of out of any game. On the other hand, that much like Sinterada, they're also very much not efficient. Um, I guess I touched on it with my first comment already as well here. Uh, up front, they're well getting some shots in, but they're not creating that much still, and definitely nothing tangible. Um, that's uh, that's not going to help them. Yeah, it might be wor- noteworthy that Lamcolze got his first goal from the penalty spot as well, but apart from that, he did not do much either. And there's also still the unclear Salamani situation. So I'm guessing the dressing room situation is also not not at all, not that great at the moment. Still with all this uncertainty, and uh, we'll have to see how it how it goes. Yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting. The early indications are that they're going to rely quite heavily on Lamkelzy. He appears to be you know the one they're expecting to um, really produce for them offensively. And I, I thought he was working kind of quite hard, and you know had a had a reasonably good game actually. Interestingly. Like you know, you know, he's got his first goal now, so that that's going to be good for 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 his confidence. I'm I'm slightly surprised that he's been the one that that's been chosen to be the the main man for them in a way because of well, just his, his past behaviour. You know, it's, it's certainly a risky choice, but they're they're obviously giving him that responsibility and hoping that the consistency and 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 yeah, the responsibility that goes with being asked to do that is is going to you know keep him. Uh, how can I put it? Kind of calm and keep him focused on 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 action on the pitch, and that's that's quite an interesting kind of coaching approach. I I, I think so. We'll, we'll we'll see how that goes in, in in coming the coming weeks. Mechelen, interestingly, I mean, obviously could have scored far more than four in this game than than they actually did. Um, I was talking last week about some of the injuries, a little bit more stability about them this week. I thought you know Storm Storm looks a little bit more fit. Burger Verstraat has come in a little bit of steel in the middle of the park there, which has certainly been missing since since they lost uh, Vinicius Souza, who was who was so impressive for them last season. Um, so probably the hope is he can fulfil that role, uh, and he he certainly had a decent game. I think a big win like that was important for them. I think I think there were you know uh, you know I I used the word brittle in relation to them a lot last week. 
um, and that's not something we can use in relation to them this week. I thought Rob Scoose was very good. A couple of goals, could have had more, probably should have had more. Almost scored two identical goals in this game, actually, uh, which amused me. But he had a pretty good game, and a lot of the good stuff that, that the Mecklen did this weekend came came directly through him. Cruz is, is starting to, to look not bad as well. So um, some some more positive signs uh, from, from Malene Ma this week. I am going to mention that scoring more goals is difficult when you have five shots in target and one of your goals is from the rebound of one shot of a target so <laughs> <laughs> you, they were for once quite efficient Kortrijk even had well a similar xg without the penalty you would say now, now they actually have a better xg the, across the whole game i'm not i'm not completely convinced either also there's a funny thing with schofs uh, last season he was only scoring screamers now he he's only scoring deflected goals but he already put four in the net uh, that way four deflected <laughs> goals so that yeah the quality of the goal is maybe a bit less but they count all counts so the quantity is, is actually increasing um, it looks like so that, that's a positive for for him and for the team I'm sure yeah th- these were my main points like I'm, I'm not sure I, I wasn't too convinced like all stats in the game actually were quite even position also 50-50 so can't get more even than that 12 shots uh, against 10 3 on target from Kortrijk 5 from Mechelen it was a harsh a harsh result I would even say. I think the narrative of this game is similar to, to the game at Steyn between St. Trude and the Standard and that the, the winning side was the side that actually um, took the chances that they did have. I, th- I think you're right. I think the four goals do do flatter Mecklen a little bit um, and make it look like they, they steamrolled Kertrike when actually on the balance of play they, 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 they kind of didn't. When you pick apart pick apart the numbers but it'll be interesting to see if Mecklen can can build upon a result like that because um, I think they needed something like that to, to, to kind of get them going in, in, in terms of their consistency um, and that's that's what you know I will selfishly be looking for in, in the coming weeks. Shall we move a wee bit further out, out to the coast to Oostend who managed to get a, a 1-0 win against uh, Open and of course Open managed to bring in new signing uh, Mubarak Wakazo to the start lineup for the, the first time this weekend who interestingly listeners and I'm sure Ben might mention this when he when he's back Mubarak Wakazo is actually Arben's favorite player of all time so to have him playing in the pro league uh, with open who are a side that, that Arben has a little soft spot for 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 a number of reasons is something we're probably going to hear quite a lot more about isn't it Joris? <laughs> <laughs> Most likely, yes, definitely. We'll uh, let him uh, clarify that you know, at later stages, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I, I personally did not watch this game to, to, to get to that. But for Ostend, a very, very vital win, uh, definitely. After four consecutive losses, yeah, they, they do did need this win in, in this kind of game. Also, it was a bit funny to see Albanese getting a red card, well, a second yellow card for diving. That's quite possibly the the worst way to get your second yellow card <laughs> I, I, I guess and all of also, also noteworthy for Ostende is uh, that they got their first clean sheet of the season again much needed it, it already made, made them win this game with just scoring one goal uh, but which it was then enough to touch on Erpe straight away then uh, as well they, they did have the possession in the game if I saw the stats right but in any I watched the, after the highlights yeah no firepower I was also a bit confused that Prevlanyak got benched I did not see any news about the sickness or, or injury but I'm assuming that must have been the case uh, because of course this does not help with that firepower uh, to have their main strikers uh, there again the, the same old story and we're only eight games in but like they're losing the kind of games that they should regularly get points off um, same story as we told talked about last week already yeah I think I think you covered all the main points there from, from that game uh, really well Joris I I am um, it's becoming a bit of a trend this isn't it the thing you, you mentioned last there about uh, open not picking up any points against the sides that they're really going to have to get points off sides that are going to be in and about them down at the bottom kind of all, all all season it's an interesting trend that's developing this and something that you know as we pointed out last week they're going to have to address if they're going to have any hopes of of, of staying in the, the top division. Oostend, probably deserving winners in this game, I thought. You know, they had a goal chopped off uh, for, for VAR that was probably uh, rightly chopped off as well. Small margins again, you know, Nick Nick Batzler, who had quite a good game, obviously getting the winning goal. You know, it'd be disappointing for Oop and I think, and Bern Stork, that, you know, you know they're playing 
over half an hour of the game against 10 men and not being able to get anything out of it will be kind of quite frustrating, you know, and this is where the likes of, you know, Prevoyak not playing the whole game, I think not being 100% fit being the main reason um, is, is going to be a sore one for them. Uh, particularly when you look at some of their fixtures kind of coming up. Open to me, feel like they're on a bit of a, you know, weird phrase this, everybody, a bit of a sugarly peg, uh, as we might say in Scotland. You know what I mean? The things aren't quite going their way at the moment uh, for, for lots of reasons. Oostend, on the other hand, have got a, an interesting game next week, I think, in terms of points. They're away to circle, and that's, that's becoming a, a bigger game now for, for, for a number of reasons for, for both sides. Yes, definitely. And the yeah, Yves van der Hage going for a six-point game, so if we as we call it, yeah, if, against his former team, so he he will be extra motivated, I'm sure. But will uh, hopefully for him, he can also bring that over to his players. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch um, this coming weekend, I think. Let's move down to Wallonia, shall we? Um, and just head to just outside Liège, go to Sarang. Um, who lost uh, 2-0 against um, Club Bruges. And I think Sarang, you know, a bit of deja vu here, Joris, isn't it? You know, being their, their own worst enemy, really, and giving some goals away. There's a few things for them that I, I want to say, but that's definitely one of them. They, at the moment that they were actually creating some things themselves, that was in the beginning of the uh, second half. Again, like, uh, like maybe against Hink, uh, they started giving away the goals and, and yeah, shot themselves in the foot. Uh, while in the first half, they didn't create anything um, themselves, but they managed to keep Lubria uh, uh, at bay. I think Lubria had two shots in the third, first half and, and none on target. So, yeah, that that's the job well done. It was basically mating for the right moment, though. It it was going to happen at some point. The actual factor for Sea as well that, that played well, very much in their favor was like the first rain fell after not that well after a long time of droughts. But I guess everyone around Europe, at least, has experienced that uh, more or less. That rain had really soaked into the pitch and it made it quite unplayable, definitely at certain corners of the pitch. And I'm I'm actually a bit surprised that the, that the game went on like that because it, it it was a bit of a pool in the middle of the summer, which is even worse than a pool in the middle of winter, I guess, in the sense of uh, professionalism. So yeah, had a good spell in the fir- in the held Klubrikov in the first half, had a good spell in the first minutes of the second half, but then gave away a goal, which was uh, Van Van Aken's 100 goal in the Pro League. Uh, that's uh, worth mentioning. So in the Pro League, not for Klubrikov, but uh, well. Also for Loke, but combined. And uh, on the other hand, the the that was uh, I'm, I'm mistaken here. That was the second goal, <laughs> but the first uh, the first goal on the other hand actually was uh, the another uh, mark. Uh, the first goal from uh, Kyle Laren for for Klubrige. He also really needed that, uh, I think. And um, yeah, he's off the mark now, so that's that's good for him. In, and also worth mentioning for Klubrige maybe is uh, that they did rotate quite a lot. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I was I was really quick surprised by the 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 amount of rotation that Karlovkins used um obviously we're at that stage of the season now where the teams playing in Europe are going to be um using a little bit more rotation and making use of that squad depth but the amount of changes was a bit of a surprise to me I suppose if you if you're going to make those changes anywhere then it's going to be in a game like this where you would be expected to win regardless of which side that you you put out but I was I was surprised particularly by some of them I mean to see to see Balanta, who you know regular listeners will know is one of my favourites, not was was probably the biggest surprise um, of the lot. I mean, he's a player who you know I was slightly surprised didn't didn't leave uh, Club Bruges uh, during the transfer window because he was told he could find a new club, couldn't get anything over the line. So that was a big surprise for me. But yeah, Kyle Laren getting his first goal, I think, kind of important. Yaramchuk as well getting his his first start for Club Bruges, which is is very important for him, I think, on a on a personal level. That that was that was certainly interesting and likewise. Bayata, another one, you know, important for him to to get game time in in his legs because I think he would have be surprised not to have seen a little bit more game time um so far, but but very professional from Club Rouge and um job done. I guess I guess an expected result as well for I, I guess both sides. Have, would have written down these results in advance. There's not really a great deal to say about this game other than it went entirely as as expected. So we'll we'll move on to uh, Dendreef where Leuven got a, a rather dramatic 3-2 
home win um, against Charleroi. And I suppose the, the most interesting thing about this game for me is Mario Gonzalez, of course, uh, Leuven's new striker, who has not only got three goals in three now and had a great start, his Leuven career, two of those three goals coming in this game by the way, and very interesting and dramatic double substitution after 62 minutes from uh, Leuven's T1 Mark Bryce, he brings on uh, Rafa Holzhauser and uh, Mario Gonzalez at the same time, and both players within a minute of them coming on provide the assist and the goal with their respective first touches. And I don't think I've seen that anywhere else in football. That That's quite quite an extraordinary little moment in itself, that, that successful double substitution. What did you make of that, Joris? That was a bit of a wow moment, I thought. Yeah, that was definitely one thing I wrote down as well. Uh, that's no obvious thing to write down about this game. It, it makes a bit more sense when you, when you know that the first that it, that its substitutions happened where at a free kick, and of course Holzhauer takes a free kick. But uh, it was a really nice finish from Gonzalez, I thought. Uh, though a real striker finish, uh, like I said last time, and now it's this one is maybe even more shooting a ball in the turn, a turning volley, and yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, always nice goals to see, and Kiefer really doesn't have any chance to react on that. So yeah, four games unbeaten as well for Leuven. They do seem to have some striking force. Gonzalez indeed making uh, uh, fr- fr- quick first impressions, uh, good impressions. And uh, Nsingi also is actually an, an, an ex- a more unexpected one, but still performing quite okay. He, he didn't score in this game, but... Well, he has shown that that he can fill in that spot if needed. For for to me at least uh, already, he convinced me that he should get some game time still. Good run going on, and every week I, I have to hold up my hands a bit more for my prediction. Uh, I guess I can already say that I don't see them having any issues at least to stay in. They might have some drop off at some point, but uh, so far, yeah, they're also uh, even so far they're in the in the top four, so actually projected in the play playoff one uh, playoff one champions playoffs. But um, yeah, I, I expect some drop off at some point for sure. But uh, definitely off to a good start. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's worth coming back to you know you hinted at your your preseason prediction there, where you, you highlighted that you thought Leuven would probably go down, and I think it was within the first couple of weeks of the season the three of us kind of talked about how how proactive they'd been with with a lot of their uh, recruitment um, and at that stage the worry we had was they were still desperately short of strikers they said they wanted to bring in a couple which they managed to do before the window closed and actually they've both done very well since coming in and I think Levin, I think it's fair to say probably are the surprise package so far within the first eight games you know they're fourth as you were saying there nobody really saw that kind of coming and they're, they're becoming a, a really effective kind of counter-attacking side and I don't mean that in any sense critically that that's kind of a compliment I think the system uh, that they're playing under with Mark Rice is is, is kind of quietly effective and the recruitment that, that's come in over the summer, over the most recent window, is is kind of building upon the way they want to play. So they've 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 been very targeted and been very careful and they're starting to see the the fruits of kind of the hard work and the changes at the club. Uh, the head of scouting left over the summer, uh, the head of recruitment left. So there's been some big and important changes in the club which are really starting to kind of pay off for them now. And hats off to Mark Bryce, who I've always said is a very underrated coach, I think, and the club has stuck with him through what was a, a pretty difficult season for them last year. And they've really hit the ground running early, um, which is something that they targeted, I think, uh, quite clearly um, pre-season. I know that Ed Still will be very disappointed on Charleroi's part. He was speaking afterwards about how he felt they controlled a great deal of the game and deserved more out of it. But it's Mario Gonzalez, isn't it? You know, pops up with the that 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 late winner, uh, doing exactly what he's what he's paid to do. Leuven looking really good, and I don't think many many other sides at the moment on the form they're in are going to enjoy going there and, and and playing them at the moment because they're they're turning into you know an efficient and an effective uh, side. There's no doubt about that. I, I kind of want to touch a bit on Charleroi uh, as well. Not much, but uh, yeah, they have are having a bit of an uh, up and down season so far. Also, Coffee is back, was back in goal, but I'm not sure if it was already the best move because I think it. You know, the first goal is clearly at fault, uh, completely mis- misjudging a long ball, and 
yeah, the third goal, I also feel like he should maybe have done better because the ball goes in, in the middle of his goal. So he probably could have moved a bit quicker towards towards there. Although that was a nice uh, attack and finish, uh, quick finish from Gonzalez as well. But yeah, that just want, want to, wanted to mention that yeah, well, Kofi, he, he we, we all rate him highly, but this was not his best game. Yeah, I think, you know, you're certainly right to, to highlight their inconsistency. I mean, they're sitting eighth at the moment. And actually, when you look at, um, you know, they've scored 13, but they've conceded 13 as well. So, um, you know, they, they, they are a bit, um, yeah, topsy-turvy would be the right phrase, you know, winning four and losing four as well. You know, they're... they're yeah, they're they're not drawing games, that's for sure. And I think their performances have been there. You know what I mean? That that's the interesting thing and the thing that Ed still will will take in an encouraging note in, in amongst this in slight inconsistency and in that they have been playing well in big chunks of games. They just need to kind of um I think maintain that. Coffee being back's important for them obviously because he's 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 a big player. Um had one particularly impressive save in this game actually, which I forgot to mention earlier, which was classic hair coffee stuff. So we'll see we'll see how they do it in, in kind of the, the coming weeks because they've got an interesting schedule coming up as well. Let's move on, why don't we, to the, the, the first game on uh Sunday, which was a uh, West Westerlo's game against uh, Anderlecht. Westerlo getting another three points, another home win, and I, I, I think we, we, we must talk about Anderlecht. We can't kind of not because, yeah, they, they've had what statistically is their second worst start to a season, and I think something like twenty years, which sounds bad, and I don't mean it to sound bad because it's only really a four point difference, you know, for, for, for a decent start for them. So it's not it's not awful statistically speaking, but th- that that creativity and the positivity that we saw over the first day uh, sort of four or five games appears to have completely evaporated. And what what on earth do you think is going on, Yoris? The same thing as I mentioned in the beginning, a complete mismatch <laughs> with the manager and the and the club. Um, and I think it's showing more and more clearly now. Win, winless in four league games now in a row. That doesn't happen too often. They're 14 points clear of top now after only eight games. Um, yeah, if you want to challenge for a title, even if there is a playoff system in place, that is not the way you want. Of course, that was, that's not only in their hands, uh, but... Also in the hands of uh, another team we'll talk about uh, rather quickly. The, the system is also not working. The, the blaming of the young guys has been coming now, but that these were also there and they were even younger last year. So it can't really only be that. Also, Mazu also resorting in the last few games to the, to, to the well, a bit basic tactic of just throwing some extra attacking bodies in when you're behind, but without thought about it just adding a few more striking uh, strikers and then therefore losing more of the midfield i think they had three shots on target one went in one well rolling shot from stuikas by the back end of the first half and yeah th- that issue that they had sometimes uh, last few seasons as well that they they are not efficient at the, uh, the front end this not working and well with mazu you would expect that the defense at least would be uh, in a good organization but that did not happen yeah i, I really see a lot of similarities with with mazu's spell in genk as well and um, yeah ironically it might have to, i might have to say that he did get a coach of the year a manager of the year award just this Saturday I believe uh, for last season's uh, performance of course but ironically like he would already start arguing should he still be in the position he is at the moment uh, like it's it's just I'm not taking away anything of his qualities but it is just a mismatch with with, with Anderlecht and the way they want to play um, I also watched a documentary about about the club that they have some monthly episodes or I don't know if it's monthly but uh, where Peter Verbeke the CEO uh, well was talking to the fans at the beginning of the season in the in pre-season they would not change the philosophy of the club then Mazu also appeared a bit later in the in the episodes and there was my philosophy now it's like, okay that's then not well there's something went wrong there clearly that this is just a complete mismatch i'm, I'm using a lot of more, uh, words with my first five i guess were the most important it's just a mismatch with the club and i'm i'm not sure I'm, I'm starting to get really worried for him that he will not be able to turn this uh, around it's just not also, also not just one thing it's like a lot of things are not going well and 
basically nothing is going well, I guess, even. Like, okay, the one thing positive you can mention is that Esposito got his first field goal, um, that, that he might also is off the mark, which could become important. They, they do need to... It, it was also just a, yeah, a, a flash of quality from himself and not a completely uh, well-played-out attack either. Lots of things that I could go on, I guess, but like lots of things that, that are just not in place at the moment there. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is a bit... It's quite... In many respects, it's kind of quite complex. Although there are there there's some big obvious um, challenges there. I th- you know I think what you highlight about you know uh, Felix Mazu not necessarily being the right fit for uh, the the in house style of football um, and elect is 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 a very big question that all of us had pre season as well because I think everyone was aware that the way that Felice was going to play was was quite different to 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 the Anderlecht house style, I think. And Peter Verbeek saying, look, we're not going to change the template. We're not going to change what we're doing here, you know, across the academy and the different age groups is is definitely a worrying sign and is is is, is definitely part of what's going on here. I mean it all 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 kind of is starting to get a little bit more um unpleasant because of course this week uh, after the loss, there was a there was a gathering of around fifty or sixty Anderlecht fans uh, waiting for the team coach to arrive back at Nearpeed um, to to talk to the players. And I think it was Wesley Hoot that came out and kind of calmed things down and and met with them. And then we saw the rather strange. I certainly thought it was very strange and not a good sign at all that uh, club president uh, Wouter Vandenhout decided uh, to address the squad himself over the last few days and basically remind them of their responsibilities and, and politely suggest that they get a bit more kind of grit and fight about them. And I, I, that seemed kind of a very strange thing to do, firstly because it's not obviously the role of club presidents to do that at all, to interfere in those coaching matters. Um, no coach is going to be happy about that. And also, does he honestly think that Felix Mazu hasn't had conversations around that particular point? The one on grit and fight is interesting because we've been saying, the three of us, haven't we, for quite a while on and off, that that is something that the side lacks. And it certainly lacked that last season under company as well at, at, at points when they faced some challenges. We know that on their day... Anderlecht are one of the best passing and moving sides in the Pro League when they're at their best, but often, you know, they, they, they lack a physicality about them and have done for quite some time that that is certainly a major contributing factor to them, uh, you know, dropping points. So some really worrying signs over the last couple of weeks, and I'm not sure things upstairs are functioning kind of um, properly either. I've seen some worrying signs there that I think, um, you know, don't don't quite add up. I think their recruitment has been decent from a business perspective this summer, but isn't necessarily converting into anything tangible on the pitch yet, which is slightly worrying. And when you look at their next their next five games, if you include Europe in this, they've got Stau Bucharest away, they've got Kortrijk at home, Charleroi at home, West Ham at home and then Mecklen away, it's not going to get any easier for them as we approach, you know, as I was saying earlier, we're a third of the way through the season now and there are some suggestions I've seen from some Anderlecht fans who who think that a title challenge in any form is now unrealistic uh, because of the position they've got themselves into and you do have to wonder um, how much longer uh, Felice will will be given, which seems an incredible thing to say kind of so early, but two factors here. One, this is Belgian football where clubs tend to panic and make big calls much earlier than they do in, in, in some other leagues. And, and some of those systemic problems that we've both highlighted are now kind of coming back to to bite them a little bit. I should compliment Westerlo, actually, um, while we're talking about Westerlo and Anderlecht. I was very impressed. I don't know if you were, Joris, with uh, Nasser Chadley's debut. I thought he had a very strong game and a good one. And when I was digging around some stats and numbers around lots of games uh, over the last couple of days... I came across something quite interesting with a Westerlo connection. The most successful tackler this season is none other than Maxim de Kuyper. 
Now, I would, if you'd have asked me that, I wouldn't have said that without being able to go in and check the stats. So that was a surprise to me. And as we've been saying, their home form has been magnificent and their away form has been terrible without playing badly. So they're having a bit of a home away yo-yo thing going on. But I, I, I thought Westerlo were excellent this week and certainly well worthy of their win. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, also the first victory after three losses. So they, they also did need that. And that despite not being efficient as well. Like they, they probably should have scored more and put more past Frank Lombrugge but somehow they didn't and, and actually yeah at some point in the game Anderlecht even managed to equalize uh, which was probably not too too, too deserved uh, and at that time you would think maybe Anderlecht will, will get past him well maybe we actually should highlight that second goal uh, as well for several reasons yeah the Esposito the, that did a, had a nice goal yeah, gave away the ball on an Anderlecht corner where an, and Westerlo could counter yeah, and then had a yeah some simulation dive where he probably should have made foul if it was a go- if he would have known uh, what would happen next and then the aforementioned to the Kuiper um, well had a brilliant run and and yeah vision and pass as well to, to find Agbunar uh, who scored his first in a Westerlo shirt um, yeah I know um, you guys were a bit high, high on Agbunar as well coming from Gustepe uh, in the summer I don't know the player that much but his stats look decent and uh, now now he's also off the mark and uh, well talking about the Kuiper of course he also had a nice uh, post-match interview yeah he was decisive with the two assists he also gave the assist for the first goal uh, from Vitokele early early in the game, uh, another issue of of Anderlecht. They, they keep conceding at both ends of the of the game, so there there might be still some concentration issues as well. Um, somehow uh, it's all linked, I suppose. But um, it but the Kuiper, yeah, gave the assist and they get the, in a post match interview where I was going to go for. Yeah, it was again, he stressed again uh, that this was really the game for, of the season for him since he's uh, on, still on loan from Club Brugge. And, well, he's been really impressive so far this season, uh, to to be honest, um, at Westerlo. He's always been one of their best players and uh, proven very valuable for them. And th- these two assists and these tackles, uh, t- tackle stats, I also was surprised with that. I did not know uh, before you mentioned it here. Yeah, sh- do show that as well uh, in, in numbers. Um, definitely, definitely want to have an eye out for uh, in the, for the rest of the season. Yeah, and Shadley, indeed, this his first minutes, he was obviously still not completely fit for uh, playing 19 minutes, and you could see it as well that he petered out a bit in the game. But his first half an hour or so, at least, and maybe even the first half, uh, I was impressed. You could see that he shows a bit of extra quality. And, and yeah, the main question for him uh, is, of course, as always, uh, can he stay fit long enough? Yeah, that's that, that, that's a good point. I think if he can maintain the level he set this weekend, then I think he's going to be a very interesting loan pickup for them and is going to contribute quite a lot over the remainder of the season, I suspect. I know we talked kind of quite a lot about Anderlecht there, and it's worth saying that, you know, to any Anderlecht fans listening, um do get in touch with us here at the BFP and let us know what, what your thoughts are and what's what's not going right at the club at the moment, what, what you think the major challenges are. Um, I've had some interesting conversations with Anderlecht fans over the last few days specifically around that and you know they've been talking to me about um, a, a general lack of stability at the club being a problem and and you know just some, some, some bad habits and, and there seems to be a kind of split opinion as to kind of what, what, what's at the root of this, whether it's a, a coaching issue or whether it's related to decisions upstairs, I, I think I, I think there's a degree of panic around in the background at the moment, and that's certainly kind of being seen in some of the decisions. But yeah, you know, Anderlecht fans do get in touch with us and, and tell us what what your thoughts are at the moment on on uh, everything at the uh, at Park Astrid. Um, speaking of sides that that may have be using the word panic, we should move on and talk about uh, Circle Bruges. Who, who lost again this weekend, uh, 2-0 at home to, to Antwerp. Antwerp now eight wins out of eight. Top of the table, as we know, they've gone five points clear. Circle probably weren't expected, you know, based on Antwerp's form to, to, to win this game, but their, their form is kind of plummeting at the moment. You know, no wins in seven now. 
um, over the course of those seven games, they've only scored three, conceded 11. So we know what the issue is. Um, they're struggling to score and not taking the, the opportunities that they do create, despite the fact that that aside, everything else is kind of quite positive in data terms, actually. We know this because, you know, I, I've gone away and had a look at a lot of the key numbers. Um, so it's it's the, the biggest key number of all goals, of course, that they're struggling with at the moment. They're they're lacking composure and I went away and had a look at their upcoming fixture schedule I think October is going to be absolutely critical for them now Joris they've got Ustend at home Ghent away Union Saint-Gilois away Oipen at home and Sarang away so three of those five games are against sides who are going to be in and about them at the bottom at the moment they need to get some, you know, major points out of that. And I think the next month is going to be absolutely critical for Dominic Talhammer. We hinted last week that, that he was under a lot of pressure. I suppose the one positive probably is that all of the sides around them this weekend also lost as well. So that 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 has, has been a positive thing. Haven't got any worse. Another positive has been, I guess, is that they already played against a lot of top teams um, and maybe even all of them. No, they still have to play. Well, defi- depends on what you define as top teams, but uh, about the, <laughs> the traditional the traditional uh, top teams, they, they have played um, most of them already this, uh, this season. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, they did not get many points uh, there. Although they did get their one uh, one victory so far against that other striking team we just talked about, Anderlicht. Yeah, that's uh, that that aside. Yeah, this was not the best of games in general. I guess uh, you could say Antwerp doing what they need to do, a bit like Klubbrugge. Uh, job job well done, just keeping Circle out. Uh, even though Circle actually in the end had a higher XG uh, expected goals rating as than Antwerp uh, in this game. But yeah, the, the, there was not uh, not enough the threatening um, things going on. Yeah, club record for the, for Antwerp with his eight wins in a row at the start of the season. Yeah, they they still are. I believe that the, the total records in the of, of the start of the season is uh, 20, is fourteen games um, winning streak from Club Brugge uh, around two thousand. But uh, important to notice, I guess, is uh, four clean sheets for Antwerp as well uh, among the best uh, better performing pupils in a sense these are a bit of two polar opposites uh, these teams in their efficiency in this game Antwerp scoring twice about after not that much uh, without much created Circle still only three goals after eight games I think I mentioned it last week so I'm not gonna hit that nail uh, every week but yeah it, it is a very very worrying sign and that will definitely need to improve against these well, smaller teams in October, let's, so to, let's say it like that, uh, let's put it like that. Um, and yeah, still maybe a bit too vulnerable at the back for because of their playing style. But that might also go hand in hand with indeed playing against teams with, with um, generally good quality that can actually exploit that uh, and they will exploit that when they can and are more efficient, uh, don't waste their chances. Uh, and at the other end, yeah, they, they need to score more, obviously. At some point, uh, while I said in the beginning, um, quite quite a bad game, at some point close to the close to the break, uh, there there was a stat showing up on the screen uh, with a passing percentage and neither of the teams got a, a percentage higher than 60. Well, it was 58 or something for Antwerp, I think, and Circlet even a bit less. Okay, also part partly because of playing styles, but um, yeah, that, that's not that's not a sign of a good game. Antwerp managed to up that uh, percentage a bit. I think it was around 70% yeah, that they got. Yes, 70% accurate passes. Circle only 61%. But yeah, especially there, it's a bit because of the playing style with a lot of pressure. It's pressure putting a lot of pressure on. You also have to play the ball quick uh, sometimes. And, and yeah, that, that go, that's... Then the accuracy goes a bit uh, to a loss uh, at some points, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I was quite interested to hear Mark Van Bommel after the game this week. Obviously, the media were starting to get a bit excited about some of the the records and some of Antwerp's own records that they were they were starting to kind of break. And obviously, next weekend's a big one against Sarang because you know that that will be their own record there. Uh, with nine straight wins, if they can, they, they can do that. Um, something that hasn't been done. Uh, but it was interesting to hear Mark Van Bommel reference what we spoke about last week on the show, and that was his own record at PSV, 
uh, where I think he won 12 or 13 on the bounce at the start of the season and still didn't go on to, to, to win the title and, and talking about the need to continually improve. So he's very much about, you know, keep calm, uh, keep working hard. Um, we haven't done anything yet, which I think is a very a very sensible approach. You mentioned last week they've got a very favourable uh, fixture schedule kind of coming up as well over the next few weeks, which I think helps them insofar as you wouldn't expect the the consistency that they've built up to 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 take a to take a knock as yet. Uh, their first really big encounter um, is is the game against uh, Club Bruges uh, just before I think the the international break. So there, there's no signs of this run ending at the moment. Uh, Vincent Janssen continuing to pick up uh, from where he left off um, as well. You know, we, we, we discussed that last week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, here it is, our favourite word here at the BFP. I'm going to use it again, efficiency. I thought Antwerp, um, very efficient, did what they needed to do, took their opportunities. Uh, the opening goal, uh, particularly interesting because, you know, they hit circle on the break against the, the run of play. Really poor goal to lose, actually, defensively, I felt. Um, you know, they let Janssen get a yard on them. And it's one of those where, you know, if if the defender doesn't allow the attacker to get the yard, the, the, the striker doesn't score. It's as simple as that, really. Um, so it was, it was really disappointing in, in, in that sense. But yeah, Antwerp, Antwerp looking good and having lots of reasons to, to feel good about themselves. Um, we should move on, really, and kind of talk about your side, Joris, actually, who went to the, the Marian in, in Brussels to play Union Saint-Joie this weekend and managed to come away with a dramatic 2-1 win in what I thought was probably game of the weekend. I quite enjoyed this. I thought this was a really... A positive, a competitive game against two sides who play really good football uh, when when they're at it, and you know we saw all of the positives from that. I should say I was quite pleased with Union in the sense that they didn't really have a a negative reaction to to playing in Europe, which they're going to be doing you know two games a week for a while now with quite an intense schedule. I was pleased to see that because I think a lot of people had that background worry that you know maybe maybe there would be a reaction post-Europe for them, which there was no real signs of. I, I felt that Genk controlled this game, uh, particularly in the first half, you know, which is kind of pleasing for them. Uh, Union were better in the second half. But w- what did you make of your side's performance this week? Really well, to be honest. I'm, I'm more positive than you might expect. Well, okay, of course, <laughs> not, of, course they, of course they won, but also just because of throughout the whole game actually even when Union indeed took over a bit in the second half defensively there was actually everything was quite under control there were a few moments uh, where I will touch on uh, quickly uh, later on as well of course but in general the defense uh, held their own really well and kept Union from a lot of danger now there are indeed a few moments where uh, it was not the defense's fault, but some, some, yeah, Rosowski had a few weird moments in the second half where he, at one point, uh, basically uh, sent Van Zer to, to Van der Voort, but the defense recovered, so that's uh, that's already highlighting that part as well. Uh, another time that he almost scored an own goal as well, I believe. Um, yeah, he had a weird, few weird back passes or back touches uh, in that game. But no, in general, very pleased with the performance. First half, indeed, probably should have killed the game off already. The the, the first few minutes, maybe ten, five, ten minutes, it was more quite even. And in Union were also, um, yeah, attacking. But Genk gave them, yeah, the, a bit of a taste of their own medicine uh, in in get, catching them on the break uh, <laughs> and and Paintsville with a very nice finish. Paintsville actually also being really lively and that him getting off was also a bit of a turning point already. Not necessarily in the first half, everything was still okay, but the lack of wingers was of course showing because he's the only winger now that was still left that was not injured or has left over the summer and they managed to not get any replacement there. And I'm that that part I'm very unhappy about, uh, but uh, yeah, I can only hope, fring, cross my fingers and hope uh, that it looks like he went off more about out of precaution as well, hoping that it would now be only a short time of absence uh, instead of uh, yeah, a, a longer one if he would have tried simply on. But he looked o- relatively okay after the game, but we didn't get a, a, an update, complete update yet. Um, but yeah, he, w- he was playing really well. 
Also offered Trezor a really good ball, um, uh, really good ball assist that that Trezor maybe should have scored. But uh, yeah, no, just in general, after these five to ten minutes uh, in the in the beginning, Genk took over while letting uh, Union have the ball for a lot of the game, but yeah, keeping it controlled at the back and in the second half that changed um bit together with Paintsel off was already the first thing that hampered uh, Genk a bit then uh, a second thing was Onuachu who got his first start of the season and actually well did his job really well at holding uh well holding the ball so yeah the link-up play was this really well but he had to come off I, I feel like he he got a yellow card and he probably well in different games maybe he would have gotten a, a second yellow as well yeah that so it was more of a precaution, as I think, as well for for the red, potential red cards, and then with Samata, a completely different type of player up front, it, it was more difficult to get the uh, to keep the ball. And together with uh, some changes from Union as well, I believe it was Rodriguez who was really not having a really that much good game as a central midfielder in central midfield. Some changes, these two factors the changes from both sides um yeah made that that Hink lost control over that midfield and became more under pressure uh, and that's then one third point is then the disallowed goal from Van Zer, where I think it was correctly disallowed uh, <laughs> uh, Van Zer, uh, but with the with Van Avoord blunder um yeah even though that was disallowed I think that's like I, I felt something there like okay now they will be pushing on um anyway and and they did for some time and they did get a, a brilliant uh Lapusan goal for the equalizer yeah but that was a brilliant finish and not only finish actually really nice uh, played out attack um uh, nice pass from Termaf uh, to to uh, to line up to line Lapusan up and, and yeah there, there's just something about goals being uh, shots being re- really hard shots going into the top corner hitting the bar and then going in there, there's something about them and then it looked like Union were the more likely sides to take over the, that did not happen in the end I think Genk restored it quite soon after that goal uh, there was not much going on of course uh, in at both ends anymore but at that time in the game that that was a Good point for Hink, and uh, an additional ch- additional changes uh, might have made the difference somehow, as well. Uh, Galarza came in for I th- I'm not sure if it was right before or right after the goal, but he, uh, in midfield, and uh, he really made a difference in in mentality and and duels and and tackles in um, and then just ba- basically on his own bringing uh, Hink uh, back into the midfield battle. Uh, and battling out there, and and yeah, that that evened out the game a bit better. And Preciado also came on. He didn't do much, but he for also poses a bit of a threat just with his pace, uh, just with that um, th- that that forced Unio to play a bit more dif- uh, a bit differently again. Uh, and um, yeah, the, the pace that was lost after Paintsel had uh, had gone off because yeah, Elkanus can play there or enters or can play at his wings, but yeah, their main strength is not in the pace, but more in having the ball. And then um, yeah, the sweetest moment of all, of course, for me uh, personally, of course, had to had to come still uh, with yeah, Samata scoring his first goal uh, again in in a Genk shirt, uh, first goal since November 2019 for Genk, and that on the corner already in stoppage time. Again, a taste of their same Union used last season twice against Genkse. They scored in the final minutes uh, in the in the stoppage time to to make it a draw in Genk and uh, to to take the game um, even completely in uh, in this specific fixture in at the Dude Park. Very sweet one, and I would still say deservedly. But yeah, it's also a bit like both train coaches, I guess, said like probably both teams deserve to win in a way, but. Um, yeah, I don't feel like this was a really stolen victory. Yeah, you could really see uh, Vita Rankin's delight actually managing to, to kind of get the three points in, in such dramatic fashion late on in the game. He he was really, really pleased with that at full time. You know, he's a manager who wears his heart in the sleeve quite a lot and I, I think he enjoyed that, possibly for the same kind of reasons as, as you enjoyed it because you're right, you know, Genk were on the receiving end of something very similar last season, which is always kind of sore to take. I, you know, two of the three goals in this game I thought were absolutely brilliant, right, Lapazan's goal was wonderful, I thought 
Pantsel's goal was really good too. Both of them, really good football for those goals. Really, really nice. Just a quick shout out um, on Union's part to uh, Dennis Eckert, who I quite like, I have to say. I thought I thought he, you know, obviously he came on, didn't play the full game, but uh, I, I saw some signs of him that I think he could become a very useful player over the, the, the long term for Union. I like the way he works channels. I like his vision. Um, I like his kind of decisiveness as well. He, he, he's an ambitious player, I think, yeah, who has some really nice kind of creative qualities and union of, of, of a master little collection of uh, supportive strikers and options around Dante Van Zier now that, you know, as they continue to search for the ideal recipe. And I think Boniface is, is the number one strike partner choice. I think that's right. Um, he's clearly clearly that. I think having the option of, of playing a Dingra and an Eckhart with him, I think is is quite exciting from an Union perspective. But I quite like the little flashes of creative inspiration that I saw from Dennis Eckhart this week. So I look forward to seeing what, what he can produce during the, the rest of the season. So the, the, the final game of the weekend was was Ghent's home game at the Galamco, uh, which they managed to win 2-0 against uh, Mbaile's Zulta Varagam. And this, this result, you're had a, a slight air of inevitability around it. Yes, indeed. Uh, again, I guess a bit of a job well, job done <laughs> case. Uh, all, all games like like uh, ended at two 0 that that uh, coincidentally as well that I mentioned this specific phrasing. There wasn't really not that much in this game in the first half, but Capers uh, missed a big chance. Uh, he made up for that in the second half, and um, yeah, that that really decided it's uh, Zotwarium. Yeah, still toothless, and I'm I'm really worried. Starting to get really worried for another manager in the layer mm, as well yeah. already. Um, that that like I mentioned last week, I think that that was that had that storyline is turned really quickly. But yeah, there, there's really not much signs of improvement anymore. Uh, they're they're slacking again. Kent were were okay, but they managed. Uh, they 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 did what they needed to do, but without being that impressive either. I w- I wanted to say they were quite efficient, but the expected goal stats are saying that they're more or less well managed what they needed to do. So I, I guess I'll take that back. Zoltwarium conceding twice at set, at set pieces. And Gent scoring twice on set pieces uh, might be a storyline to follow for the in the in the rest of the season as well. But yeah. It's a piece of Zoltwarium really needs... To, we all know they are vulnerable at the back. And set pieces is one piece of these things that uh, of, of defending that you really, really can hard, work uh, hard on and, and train, of course. Um, it's it's defending. The ball can always fall fall badly, but can at least try to defend it and be prepared for some situations. And I didn't have the feeling that this was the case. Yeah, and Zoltwarium... One shot on target uh, to to highlight that as well again, and and not many more shots in general outside of that either. So yeah, at both ends, not looking great. Yeah, I think not looking good kind of sums it up from them. I think you know when I was watching it, and uh, you know I said this to you, didn't you, when we were chatting while the game was on, that offensively there's just nothing there at the moment. You know there really isn't. You know it's not as if they're they're creating some things but not taking their chances. I think they're they're not creating either, and I I think there are some yeah there's some major your red flags there that we've hinted at in kind of coming weeks and those little positive flashes that we saw in the first two or three weeks have have, have kind of completely gone I suppose the hope and it can only be a hope really from by Lee's perspective is that you know things will settle down and they will start to pick up some points speaking of which you know looking at their schedule over the next few weeks it's kind of tricky for them you know they've they, they've got um, St Truden at home next which is uh, never easy because they're hard to beat uh, they then go away to Westerlo uh, who've been very good at home they then welcome Leuven uh, to the Regenbogen Stadion, who who are kind of flying at the moment, so they won't be looking forward to that particularly. And then uh, they've got a pretty big game now uh, when they go to the Gildensporen to kind of uh, play Kertrike before they welcome Anderlecht. So, you know, I, I don't see too many points in the coming weeks because of the way that they're playing as well. So pretty pretty worrying for Embiley at the moment, and hopefully he'll be given some, some, some more time because I, I just don't see what they can do other 
than kind of holding their ground and, and just, you know, hoping that kind of things turn for them, really. Ghent managed to actually, they, they, they upped the intensity actually in the second half, and I think that's the thing that sort of got them got them over the line in the end, because in the first half, I, I felt they were playing within themselves um, a little bit, but yeah, this game, as I was saying, had a, had a general air of inevitability around it. Yeah, definitely, and I just want to deny a bit that the difficulty of their, of Sultwarkham's schedule, because I also want to say, in these eight first games, they already played seven out of the top eight, actually, the current top eight, so yeah. It, it's it's still easier than well on paper than than it's than, than what they just had. So it's also also might be a factor of hope still a bit similar to Cyclabugan actually. I think I think that's a fair point. I mean when you look at I mean they are what they're they're seventeenth at the moment and they're they're certainly conceding too many goals. They've conceded fifteen and you know only scored only scored seven. And that point about you know hoping that things will turn for them. Obviously you know the fixtures I was I was listing there that the, they are games. That you know that there's certainly points in for them. I think the worrying thing is they're they're not creating obviously anything to suggest that maybe the they they could convert that into points. But we'll we'll see what happens. And I I do hope Mbappe is given a decent amount of time because he's he's a very likable figure. I think and I think he is. I said this when he was appointed. I felt he was a a quite good appointment for them, provided they give him some time. Zalta as a club actually. Um, just when we 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 think about this in, in a bigger sense are quite interesting in that they are they're one of the few sides now in, in the top division that, that don't have you know a lot of foreign money if you like um, in the mix at the club and one of Zalter's challenges as a club is is, is similar to Mecklen's in that they've chose to stay local and they've chose to kind of deliberately walk away from and, and yeah not accept offers of, of foreign investment to, to try and buy them the extra margins that the club probably needs to to develop longer term. You've got to wonder if if they have another really hard, difficult, disappointing season, whether as a club they might change their view on that. That's more of a bigger existential kind of question for them lo- lo- longer term that, that, that I do wonder about. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, there because it's, it's still early days to be fair as well. Uh, we should move on actually and kind of just have a wee chat about the Challenger Pro League uh, this weekend as well. We're we're up to match day five there. Score round up if you if you didn't manage to see any reaction there this weekend. Beershot lost two 0 at home to Lommel. Dender lost three two to Laers, who, who are kind of flying at the moment, um, top of the table there. Anderlecht under twenty threes drew one each with Club Next at the King Budawan. Uh, a very big, very empty King Budawan. Beveren won 2-1 at home against uh, SL16. Young Genk lost 1-0 at home against uh, Verton and Denza lost 2-1 at home against Molenbeek. Uh, so in terms of the overall picture and the, the Challenger Pro League at the moment, the, the top five are Lier, Schlommel, Beveren, Molenbeek and Beershot, which is kind of, I think, how most of us expected it to kind of pan out. It's starting to settle down into what we expected to see. How those top five positions, if you like, five or six positions, end up at the end of the season, that's what we don't know yet. But the sides that we expected to be in there are largely starting to kind of find find, find their feet a little bit now. The one thing I've taken away from uh, the Challenger Pro League so far, Yoris, is something you mentioned last week and something we all know about. It's not new this, and that is how wildly unpredictable it is. And it, it still kind of seems that way. Yeah, definitely. Because maybe if you mentioned the, the, the teams that are up there now, we may, might have expected, but I did not expect Lears. Okay, we'll have to see if they can hold on, but to be this good actually so far, especially after that first game that they, they also lost maybe with with two big numbers, but uh, they lost against a, a young Hink team. Um, but afterwards, they have been really impressive and then scoring goals for fun as well. So um, they're, they're doing well. One thing to young from young King to highlight as well, like as disaster cannot stri- cannot strike twice. Well, Holtz fell out again uh, on the winger. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing, any uh, bad injury, so he will be back. But uh, he had to be changed again. And uh, Kelvin John, another the, la- on the only other winger left for both 
the senior squad and the young squad got a red card and then three uh, match suspension as is, is asked. I think that this can be still be appealed, but there's something going on with the ringers at Hink uh, at, in all ages, in all age groups, it seems. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great point. We should, um, we should have a chat as well about, you know, what we spoke about way back at the beginning about a brilliant week for Belgian sides in Europe. We can't not touch upon that. Three wins and a draw across match day one in European action. Uh, Club Bruges winning 1-0 at home against uh, Bayer Leverkusen in the Champions League. Anderlecht managing to get over the line uh, 1-0 against uh, Silkeborg. Union Berlin losing to uh, our very own Union Saint-Gelois 1-0, which was quite a historic result in its own right, actually, because not only is it Union's kind of return to European football proper in, in, in a group stage sense, uh, since the early 1960s, I think it's their first ever away win in, in Europe, which is 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 quite quite something. So a, a historic result on a number of levels, and um, the other result, the draw uh, again. Uh, going to Molda and and coming away with a point, which I think is a very decent result. That's the one I didn't expect, Joris, because I actually thought Ghent uh, were going to be the side that were that were probably the most likely to to disappoint us. But three wins and a draw. Wow, what can we say about that? You know, big, big up the coefficient. Zero goals conceded as well. That's a surprise as well, Bill. And and well, getting that many po- grabbing that many points with only three goals scored. On the other hand, then that, well, you can't wish for more. You can still wish for one goal more in the in hint for hint, of course, for of course. But uh, I also thought uh, that that uh, the draw was well was a good result for them to take away from uh, from Imolde, given uh, the situation both clubs have been in. Um, I know last week I thought I thought they they might be fine uh, to 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 win this one, but uh, that was before I listened to the Nordic Football podcast. Yes, I'm get, dropping late, lately is quite some uh, other podcasts and, and sources in, but. Uh, where they were really positive about uh, Molde and also Molde's chances against Jens. Uh, but they, they did manage to keep them out. And uh was a debut of uh, Paul Nardi as well in goal for, for Jens. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he did a really good job there. So uh, good good uh, good signs for them. Had had some fun because, of course, I'm in Germany. And uh, who would have thought two, two German teams would be beaten uh, by two Belgian teams inside one week? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, I've had my fun around here. That's right. I think, you know, that's that, that's a great point. And it's worth underlining, actually, as well, since you bring that up, the Union uh, Berlin, the other union, are absolutely flying at the moment in the Bundesliga. They're doing very well domestically. So, you know, as well as that being a historic result from Union Sanjawa's perspective, you know, in football in terms, to go there against a side they're doing very well in their own league and, and win was a fantastic um, result. But, you know, let's let's hopefully have more of the same um, this week. I'll, I'll take another three wins in a draw this week. Um, speaking of this week in Europe, the, the, the fixtures this week, Porto welcome uh, Club Bruges. Ghent are at home to Shamrock Rovers. Stoy Bucharest uh, welcome Felix Mazu's Anderlecht. And Union Saint-Gerois are at home at Dendrief. Um, not the Marion, of course, because they're playing their home European games at Leuven's Dendrief Stadium. They welcome Malmo on on Thursday as one of three fixtures on, on, on Thursday evening. So, yeah, definitely uh, fingers crossed for the same again. Just before we go, we should recap on the, the, the upcoming fixtures uh, this weekend for, for match day nine. Antwerp are at home to Sarang in the game on Friday evening. Um, Saturday sees Mechelen, Leuven, Circle Bruges against Oostend, Zulte Varagram against St Truden and Charleroi against Westerlo. And on Sunday we have Genk against Ghent, Eupen against Union Saint-Gerwa, Standard Liège at home to Club Bruges, which is uh, on paper certainly the big game of the weekend. We'll see if it turns out that way in footballing terms. And Anderlecht host um, Kortrijk. So plenty to to look out for uh, this weekend. And as always, three of those games will be free and live on MOLA TV Sports in the UK. So keep an eye on our social media and we'll we'll let you know which which of those games will, will be the live games. It's been great to catch up with you, Joris. Thanks for joining me, my man. Yes, exciting week ahead as well, definitely, uh, on several levels, and uh, it was great to be here. Yeah, great, as 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 always. It always is. Always a delight to talk about Belgian football, 
and uh, we'll have plenty more for, for you next week as well. I think you know how to get in touch with us as well, so if you do want to do that, particularly Anderlecht fans, once again, really keen to know what you think about what's going on inside your club at the moment. You can get in touch with us a number of ways. You can tweet us at Belgian Podcast, um, or you can get in touch with uh, the three of us individually. You can find me at Scott underscore Coin. You can find our Yoris at Yoris underscore Beck, and you can attack our Ben at BenJack94. Fantastic, everyone. We will have another action-packed episode of the BFP next week for you. So see you soon. Mm-hmm.